right, take your Bible tonight and let's go to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And let's carry on with our series in Mark. I've enjoyed this already and um, so much in these passages, isn't it? That you can glean and take and man, you could do a message on every single verse of the scriptures. Um, sometimes every word of the verse, and there's so much to be gleaned from the scriptures. But uh, tonight, let's just do a little quick review <clears throat> in Mark 3 where we left off, and then uh, pick up where we left off tonight. Um, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll read the scriptures this evening. Lord, we thank you for your blessings and your goodness, and, and we do thank you for the time together tonight. Thank you for the choir practice earlier, and, and uh, Lord, how you bless our hearts even as we practice. And and God, uh, as we study for lessons and all of these things, and now we thank you for this time together uh, as we've come to uh, the point in the service where we open up your word. And uh, we pray, God, that your word will, will speak to us tonight, that your spirit will guide us into truth. And, and Lord, as I'm speaking and, and we're listening, I pray that, Lord, your spirit will just direct each one of our hearts individually to what you would have us to see. Make application, Lord, put your finger where it needs to be on our hearts and our lives and God, we just lift it up to you tonight. Uh, Lord, thank you that you use um, frail, weak, uh, sinful individuals for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, we just pray that you'll strengthen us tonight. Thank you for the time you've given us to live in this world. And we pray that we will do all that we can, Lord, in the power of your spirit to be salt, light, and that you'll strengthen us in this time right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week in verse 19 of Mark chapter 3, we saw in the last half of verse 19 that uh, they went into a house. This is, of course, Jesus. <clears throat> he has just chosen out, officially chosen out his um, 12 disciples, and in, including Judas Iscariot, as it says there in verse 19. Um, and then they went into a house, and the multitude cometh together, verse 20, Again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Uh, we pointed out last week, and I didn't have my PowerPoint. I'll go ahead and put the points up here tonight. The, we see the servant son of God here, the title of our series, uh, Walking with the Servant Son of God uh, through the book of Mark. We see him being just that. We see that all through the book. But here is the son of God, uh, God himself, God in the flesh, serving humanity in such a way that he doesn't even have time to stop and eat. Doesn't even have time to stop and take food for himself, according to verse 20. So many people were coming, so much work to do, so many to heal, so many to help, so much to preach that he doesn't even stop to take food, to eat bread. This is sacrifice. This is kindness on display and it really was a lot going on. We, we don't really maybe understand just how much Jesus was doing, just how large the crowds were, until we get to verse 21. And verse 21 tells us that when his friends heard of it, heard of what? Well, heard of what was going on in verse 20. Heard of what Jesus was up to, that they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he's absolutely out of his mind. That's what it means right there. They said he is beside himself. Can you imagine saying that about Jesus? Someone thinking that about Christ. These were humans just like us. And we're going to come back to that in a minute 
uh, because the last part of this passage takes us back to verse 21. But here's the servant son of God, and immediately the crowds congregate, uh, so much so that they demand so much of him that he doesn't even eat. So we see the attractiveness to Jesus we saw last week uh, from so many, and we saw the self-surrender of Jesus giving himself to them. And we reminded ourselves, too, that you know we often wonder, I wonder what God's like. What is God like? God, and, and Jesus answered that question. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. If you see what I do, you see how I act. Is God that kind? Is God that sacrificial and loving and good? When we see Jesus doing things like this, we see the Father. We see the Father. It's hard for us to imagine that, isn't it? To think in, in all that Jesus did. If you see me, you've seen the Father. And we really can, as we talked last week, can cast our cares upon Him who cares for us. For He cares for you. He really does. Well, we saw there then in verse 22, we won't take the time to read uh, this passage, but where the scribes come and from Jerusalem, and as Jesus, we see in another gospel, heals a man who has a demon, uh, he's demon-possessed. These men begin to accuse him of doing this work, casting out devils by the power of the devil himself. And the great uh, and scary warning that the Lord gave to these men at the end of that passage, down in verse 28 and 29, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. And just a wrap-up again of what we talked about and the, the various passages that we went to of course, we understand that resisting and rejecting the very one who draws us to the Savior demands eternal punishment. If we reject the Holy Spirit and His guidance, if we, in a sense, blaspheme the Holy Spirit who's drawing men to Christ, there is no um, help for that. There's no other sacrifice for sins but Christ. And we saw where in Acts 7, Stephen, even as he's being, before, right before he's stoned, he looked at those Pharisees and he said, Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. We saw in Romans where the Bible speaks of those who have been given over to a reprobate mind because they've called good evil and they call evil good. And that's exactly what these men were doing in this case in Mark. They were saying that Jesus, <laughs> the ultimate good, is being used by Satan to cast out devils, calling good evil and evil good. It's the same as people in our day saying that it's good to abort a baby. Same kind of thing. Saying that, it's, that it's, uh, people are out of their minds who want to stop things like abortion. <laughs> That's calling good evil and evil good. And, and we, we think to ourselves, how can they actually believe this? There is such a thing as a reprobate mind. How can people do these dastardly things, these horrible things in society? And that's just one example. Again, we don't know who has crossed the line. I believe personally these Pharisees Jesus is speaking to still have a chance. I believe Jesus is warning them of the dangerous territory they're treading on. <clears throat> and we warned ourselves last week to be so careful in not resisting 
the Holy Spirit of God as He is working in our hearts and working in our lives and in our families. So, then let's pick it up in verse 31 tonight. Uh, Let me put my points up here again. We saw the opposition from his foes, verses 22 through 30 there. And beginning in verse 31, we see the opposition now, not from his foes, but the opposition from his friends. The opposition to Jesus from his friends. Verse 31, there came then his brethren and his mother. Now we know who that is, don't we? We're familiar with the Christmas story. We know Joseph and Mary. Well, here she is. Here's this very same Mary, years later. What are they doing? Standing without. Standing outside of the house that they're in. Sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, hey Jesus, your mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Well, what is Jesus saying here? What what is going on? Again, we can compare verse 31 with verse 21. Go back and look at that again. Verse 21 says, And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. I personally believe this is the same group. This is the same thing. We have a picture of them coming because of his ceaseless activity, his ceaseless work in verse 20. And the word friends there, if you look it up, it means they that were from beside him. Or they that belonged unto him. So the word is, it means basically his kin, his kinfolks, his relatives, his mother and his brethren. And then we have more information in verse 31 that it's his brethren and his mother standing without calling him, saying he's beside himself. He's lost his mind. He's gone crazy. Um, this is the first appearance of Mary since Cana. That first miracle that we have a recording of where Jesus turned the water into wine. Uh, After that, we don't hear of her until this point. Uh, Right here where she comes to call for him. Uh, We are given two indications in Scripture. And this is interesting. Um, There were things about Christ that his parents didn't even understand. Things about Jesus that his parents didn't even seem to fully understand. That's pretty obvious with this passage, isn't it? But remember when Jesus was about 12 years old, the Bible tells us, and he was in the temple, and he was there discussing things with the Pharisees and the the leaders, the religious leaders, and they were just stunned at his knowledge of the Old Testament and the things that he knew and and the way he spoke. And, And then the family left with the group they were with, and it was a long way down the road till they realized Jesus wasn't with them. And they turned around and came back and spent days looking for him. Moms can understand the panic, right? Um, And they finally find him in the temple talking to those leaders. And what did Jesus say to Mary and to Joseph? He said, and I don't believe he was disrespectful at all. I just believe he said something to them that gave indication that they were going to have to understand that he had to be about his father's business. 
And he was speaking to his mother, and he was speaking to his earthly father, but he had to be about his father's business. And Mary, the Bible says earlier, ponders these things in her heart. Can you imagine? And then here we find it, or we find it in Cana of Galilee with the water being turned into wine. Remember when Mary wanted Jesus to do something for her? They, were, they had run out of wine. This would have been a great embarrassment in this wedding. Mary seems to be kind of the, what do you call that when the lady's in charge of the wedding? Coordinator or whatever it's called, wedding coordinator. I, I don't know, but it, it appears that way. And then she asked Jesus to do something for her. And what did he tell her? He said, woman, what do I have to do with thee? Or something along those lines. And and again, I don't think Jesus is ever disrespectful to his parents. But they need to understand. He must be about his father's business. He must be about his father's business. And here in Mark chapter 3, we see him about his father's business. And they still don't understand. They're coming to him because they think he's literally gone out of his mind about his father's business. Coming to him saying he's beside himself. The criticism from his foes was about what he was doing and why he was doing it. Why he's just doing it all these miracles for self-aggrandizement. For his own self-purposes. That's why he's doing these things. His motive is totally wrong. That was their accusation. That was their criticism. He's doing it through the power of Satan. That was what they were trying to oppose him with. But not with his friends and family. This is different. This opposition is he's doing so much. He's doing so much. Why he's going to hurt himself. He's going to kill himself. And again, doesn't this really give us a view into how much Jesus must have been doing? The, the, the ceaseless activity, the, the ceaseless uh, work that he was doing. And we've read, haven't we, where he was up all night praying. Early in the morning, going out with his disciples. And, and, and he's been doing miracles all day. And again, up all night praying. And, and you can see how a mother would think, my son's going to kill himself. Listen to what... A commentator said, I'll just read you, I thought it was good the way he worded it, I'll read it to you. And so the kinsmen and friends of Christ, having heard of the situation that he was in, said one to another, he's in a transport, he's in an excess of mind, his zeal carries him beyond due bounds, he has certainly forgotten himself, his understanding is disturbed, he is unmindful of himself, he takes no care of his health. He will certainly greatly impair it if he goes on at this rate, praying all night, preaching all day without taking any rest or food. Wherefore, they came out in order to dissuade him from such excessive labors and engage him to go with them where he might have rest and refreshment and be composed and retire. They wanted to restrain him in order to save him. (laughs) Can you imagine? They wanted to save him. Verse 33 through 35, Jesus answers those who said they were out there, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Here's a relation that's above even blood relations. 
Who was Jesus closest to? A relation above even blood relation. My great-grandfather used to always joke around about blood kin. You had kin and you had blood kin. And he would joke, we'd go to these little uh, family reunions and stuff, and he would even put out on the outside a little sign and say, kin parking, blood kin parking. Just being silly. (laughs) Blood kin was a big deal. Nothing like blood kin. You know, there's a relation that's even above blood kin. And that is those who shall do the will of God. You know, if you're somebody that's a failure so many times, imperfect, sinful, and you know you are, and you pray as we heard this morning in the message, Lord, search my heart. Know me and try me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Why would I want God to do that? Because I want him to show me where I need to be forgiven, right? Because we want to be fully right with God. We want to do the will of God. Is that your heart tonight? If it's not your heart, you need to check up on things. Now, we can all go astray, right? We can all, many say backslide, use that term. But, but the heart of the child of God wants to be searched in order that they, they may be forgiven and right with the Lord. And this is the fruit of the Spirit that's actually within us. Bearing out the fruit of the Spirit. And if you are that way, then you know others who are that way. And there's a bond, isn't there? There's a love, there's a relationship, there's a family there that's even closer sometimes than blood relations. Now it's wonderful when it's even blood relations, right? When those even within your own family, but there's been many, many people throughout the ages, throughout his Christian history, and that's not been the case. To where they cannot say they're blood relations. They desire for those blood relations to come into that relationship with Christ. But that family, sometimes we call church family, right? Our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Those who shall do the will of God. Jesus said, these are my brother and my sisters and my mother. So he was closest not to those who would try to save him. From unceasing pressure and work in his obedience to his father. But in those who were going to follow him down that pathway. And a rough pathway. Now, we know that Mary and his brethren eventually do. uh, After a while, but apparently not immediately. James, his half-brother, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we find in the book of Acts. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But it's very evident in the Gospels that they did not believe. Isn't that something? The very half-brothers of Jesus did not believe in him until he resurrected from the dead. Um, and then it was all clicking, coming together. Mary, what, what, why is she doing this? Why is she saying this? You know, we can speculate, can't we? I, I've wondered if, remember, there's great opposition from the Pharisees, from the leaders of the, of the land now. And could they? I mean, these guys were thugs, Right? And could they have gone to Mary behind the scenes and said, you better get a hold of him. You better stop him because we're, we're going to kill him. I don't know. It could have happened. And being a mother, I don't know. all. We don't know all the details. But this is what she does. Even his disciples for a little while are going to leave him. But they would come back again, counting it all joy to suffer shame for his name. What did Jesus say? Take your Bible and we're going to go to Mark chapter 8 just for a second. 
keep your place in Mark 3. But look at Mark 8, which we'll study down the road. But look what he says in Mark 8. Beginning with verse 31. Mark 8, beginning with verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he spake that, saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan. That had to hurt a little bit, right? Now, he had just told Peter, give him a great compliment before this, if you go back and read it, and then all of a sudden, he turns and looks at Peter and calls him Satan. Wow. I'd like for Jesus to look at you and call you Satan. He didn't know what spirit he was of when he said those things. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You know, this is exactly what his mother and his brethren were doing. Look what he says in verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. This is the same thing back in Mark chapter 3 that I believe he is saying. Follow me, whosoever shall do the will of God. That is my mother and brothers and sisters. Well, after 2,000 years of the effects of Christianity... There really are very few today who would look at Jesus from the past and say that he and suggest that he would was in league with Satan. You know, this is the way it always is with reformers. Jesus was more than a reformer, we understand that. But people who do great things usually aren't loved while they're alive. I heard somebody say, you you know, great reformers, great, they, they don't walk past statues of themselves. The statues come after they die. Because when they're alive, they're troublemakers. Right? They're just troublemakers, and when they're dead and gone, everybody wants to praise them, and they're not around anymore. They're not trouble anymore. Well, it's the same with Jesus. It's the same with Jesus. Nobody today would look back and say that he was in league with Satan or that he was out of his mind. Which really is a great evidence, a great thing to point up to people who say those kinds. Now, he's not God. He's not the Lord, the King of Heaven, but he wasn't. But he was a good man, right? He was a good teacher. Well, how do those things go together? Because he plainly said he was God. Said he for, could forgive sins. So if he wasn't God, then he really wasn't a good man, right? He was either a lunatic or he was lying. So... As C.S. Lewis said, you can't have it both ways. You've got to admit one or the other, and we bow our knee and say he's Lord of heaven and earth. He's King of kings. And today even, they wouldn't say he was out of his mind. They will cast doubt on the word of God, yet they still seem to hold that the Lord Jesus 
they, they have a type of reverence for him. But, isn't it true that the same opposition is often still against his disciples? The hands and the feet of Christ in the world today. Still the same kind of things. Maybe they wouldn't necessarily say that Christians are in league with the devil. Maybe sometimes they would. But sometimes suggest that the motives of Christians are wrong. Well, they're just in it for self-aggrandizement. They're just in it for themselves. Self-promotion. Or, as we've seen tonight, and even more subtle, many still say, even friends, even family, even blood relations. Well, he's beside himself. Well, they must be out of their minds. Do people ever say that about Christians today? I'm talking about Christians. Disciples of Jesus. Those who know what it means when Jesus says, take up your cross. And he says daily in one passage, and follow me. Why would you want to do that? Why, you must be out of your mind. Why would you want to make those decisions? Why would you want to sacrifice all of that for Christ? Or in this life, or when you could have, or you're, you're so intelligent, or you have so much potential, and you're giving it all. Are, are those the kind of things that we hear today? Are those the kind of oppositions that, that God's people face? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Many Christians, even today, many Christians can bring about hindrances to what God wants to do with His people. How many young people does God want to take maybe somewhere around the world? And witness for Jesus, but a mom and a dad, they're looking at that young person saying, you're out of your mind. Come, Jesus. Come out of the house, Jesus. Come to us. He's out of his mind. He's lost it. He must be crazy. But he says, I must be about my father's business. And there are some young people today who need to look at their parents in respect and in love and say, I must be about the father's business. And they're saying, you're crazy. We've seen this, haven't we? I could never let my child go halfway around the world. Why, I could never. What if you're hindering the work of God in that child's life? That's just one example. We could go on with different examples. You know, folks, we've got to be careful, don't we, to encourage our fellow brothers and sisters, our, chill, our very children, to do the will of God. Even if you look like a fool, there are too many people today that are so concerned about what everybody thinks of them. And we tell that to our young people all the time, don't we? You can't be so concerned about what people think of you. And yet we as adults do the same thing. We're just so concerned about pleasing men. We struggle with this, don't we? We struggle. Wait a minute. What's God's will? What's God's will for me? What's God's will for you? Often it will look like insanity to this world. Somebody said... Men never seem to think that passionate, zealous, intense, sacrificial devotion would suggest insanity in any other realm. Only that of the spiritual. No one says of the scientist who devotes his whole life to discovery, even maybe to the point of cutting his life short because of his zealous devotion given to that discovery. Everybody would hold hold him up as a great hero. What about a sports player? It's a good night to talk about that. 
give their life. And I'm, I admire people who give their all to something. You know what? I, the Lord said, if your hand finds something to do, you do it with all your might. And those who are the best of the best, now there's a lot of problems in, in some of these areas, believe me. I don't think they should be making the kind of money they're making, but, but anyhow. But give it all, give it all, and, and we can admire that. But yet, who, would, who complains about the insanity? Well, maybe some of us would. But they give it all to that sport, to literally cutting their life short sometimes. But nobody seems to complain about that. Or the explorer, or the entrepreneur who has climbed that ladder of success, restless nights, not sleeping, just working, working, working. But yet it's the child of God. It's the one who wants to give that kind of devotion and passion and zeal and intensity to the cause of Christ that the world looks at and says, you must be insane. You must be out of your mind. You're crazy. We can understand tonight that if you are giving yourself sacrificially for the Lord Jesus Christ in any area, If you are giving yourself sacrificially for the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, that can weave into some of the things we just mentioned. It doesn't have to mean being a missionary, although that's what God has for some people. If you're giving yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ as a mother in a home, raising children, if you're giving yourself for the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever God has called you to, we've already talked about that in a different message, You are in good company with passion and zeal and intensity and sacrificial devotion, just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. And again, tonight we're not talking about literally ruining your health, unless God has you in some kind of a special situation where he's requiring that of you. God can do that, but typically that's not the norm in the place that we are tonight. I think it's an honorable thing, and Paul talks about that, of taking care of yourself. But we don't know what God might call us to one day. But in passionate, zealous, intense, sacrificial devotion to the cause of Jesus Christ. Devoted completely, devoted completely to the will of God. Even in the face of those who would say they've lost their minds. William Yeats, a, a pastor from long ago and a poet, we were watching a uh, message by D. James Kennedy, who's gone, uh, who died, and, and uh, he gave this quote from this poem talking about the, the evil around us and uh, the, the, the things going on. We heard again this morning the message. The best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. And don't we see that? Why is it that such a minority can have such a big voice in this country? How can that happen? Because you know what I think? And I I think you would agree with me. 
I, I really believe still that it's a minority of people who are trying to push these unbelievably wicked agendas in our nation. If the majority would stand up, oh, wait a minute, if the majority would have some passionate intensity, the Lord Jesus could use his people to stop this stuff forever. That we would look back on these days in disbelief at what men were actually doing and getting ready to do. But the problem is, we have the worst among us, full of passionate intensity. Being led, of course, by the devil himself from hell. But they have it, they're they're all in, man. (laughs) All in. Heart and soul and mind and strength for their causes. Would to God that we could flip that thing around. And the best of men, full of passionate intensity, while the worst lack all conviction. I believe God could still do that. I believe God could get a hold of the hearts of some people today, His people, and fill them with this kind of zeal to where they don't care if the world or even blood kin were to look at them and say, you've gone out of your mind. What they are concerned about is doing the will of the Father. Doing the will of the Father. And God can take those people and use them in this world like we've never seen. So the challenge tonight is just simply, let's give it all to Jesus. Let's give it all to Jesus. Let's be like the one who went before us. Our Lord and our Savior, our great example, passionate intensity, even if the world, even if the enemy accuses us of wrong motives, doesn't matter. And even if our friends and our loved ones say they're beside themselves, may God help us to live for Him, to serve Him. Lord, thank You for Your Word tonight. Thank You for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's hard for us, you know, to read these scriptures and totally see into what everybody was experiencing back 2,000 years ago. Lord, we can get a little peek into it. And Lord, we can see our Savior and His devotion, His love, His sacrifice. Lord, may we be more like Him. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves to You in this way. Teach us, Lord, what that means for each one of us individually, what it means to be this kind of Christian. Lord, for too long, the church has been asleep. In America, the church has certainly been asleep. And Lord, we go through the motions. You know, Lord, you see. But God, we need need the church to wake up and rise up. Lord, I pray that it'll start with me. That's true revival. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would wake us up. Lord, help us not to listen to the voices around us. They're loud. Lord, we know they're loud. They're in our ears. We turn the news on. We watch it. We see it. And Lord, they're, they're casting their arrows. And they seem so mighty. But God, you're mightier. Far above. Lord, we acknowledge that tonight. You want to use your people. Help us not to give up. Help us, Lord, to raise up mighty warriors. Help us to be mighty warriors. Help us to believe in the power of prayer. 
Help us to pray these things down, these strongholds. Lord, help us to take a stand in whatever way we can. Remind us, Lord, that those things usually are small things, just in obedience, knowing you're going to work through them in powerful ways. God, help us to be like Jesus. Lord, we say that. Help it to be true. Help us to be like Jesus, our Savior. It doesn't matter what the world says. In Jesus' name we pray. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't we all stand for a minute tonight as the pianist plays.